0: Today, we're talking about the value, the importance of confession. And I hope to clear up some misconceptions about what confession is and why it serves us so well and how to engage in it. So we're going to talk about confession. And this idea of talking about this came to me after I was on the phone with a friend of mine two weeks ago. My friend is uh, the wife of a Marine colonel that's way high up there. There's only a handful of these guys and he leads an entire base out in North Carolina. is under his um, responsibility. He leads all those soldiers that call that place home and they're stationed there. And um, two weeks ago, they were wrapping up their 22nd move um, to a new city. So they're moving from North Carolina to Washington, D.C. Has anybody ever moved here before. Have you guys ever moved homes, moved cities, moved states, moved countries? Yeah, I'm sure many of you have. Bless you. So the three most stressful things that you can do in life, they say, is starting a new job, is getting married, and is moving. So this is one of the top three stressful things you can do in life. And my friend, the wife of this um, colonel, um, he's still running the base to the last minute. Like he's running the base until the, the minute they drive out of town. So he can't really help her facilitate all the details of this move and she's got a little kid that she's taking care of so it's a very stressful week and that's like the understatement of the year right there because she's got to keep track of all these moving pieces and keep track of making sure they don't forget anything make sure they don't forget to turn off their utilities blah 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 it's just a lot and I talked to her on the phone the other week um, because they've had some bad moving experiences and so I just reached out how you doing And she's just like, we've had bad experiences with moving. And you know this, because we've been friends for a long time. This is the worst one we've ever had, by far. There's 22 moves talking. She knows how to do this well. And she said, this is the worst one by far. When you're in the Marines, when you move, the military helps you, right? They pay for it sometimes. um, And if you're up there, like this guy is, they will even provide a moving company for you. And they'll help you pick it out. And you get to choose from these, but these are the only ones you choose from, Well, they chose one, and the moving company they chose was just deplorable. So they were supposed to have like five guys show up with a truck this long and have two days to pack well everything with all the peanuts and the wrap and the boxes and get it in the truck nice and secure and then drive hundreds of miles to D.C. and then unload it well, all that. Well, instead of five guys and a truck this big and two days... They got two guys with a truck this big, and they had like six hours to pack all of their possessions into this semi and drive it 500 miles, and they just did a horrible job. I mean, if you ever packed in a rush? It ain't pretty. So this isn't the photo, but it's a photo to just give you an appreciation. This is about what the truck looked like. And those boxes, even though they're just kind of thrown in there, there's no packing peanuts in there. There's not the styrofoam stuff. There's not the bubble wrap. There's just their stuff thrown in there, their plates, their glasses, their clothes, their pictures, their memories, their furniture is just stuffed in this truck. And then when the truck is like, okay, it's time for us to go and we will not leave until you sign this piece of paper. And they are frazzled and they're stressed out, especially my friend who's like feeling so responsible for all of this. And they signed this piece of paper that basically said, when we arrive and unload your stuff, if there's anything broken, it's not our problem. And they just kind of felt pressed to sign it, and they did, and then they're regretting it, and it's just like, oh, my gosh. They race to D.C. to beat the truck so that when it arrives, they can inspect everything just so they can have a record. And when the truck arrived, you guys, it was just a mess. Their couches weren't wrapped, so all the stuff sliding around back and forth in the back of the truck and scuffed up all their furniture. So now there's beautiful leather couch has just, like, burns on it and scratch marks from their stuff rolling around on it the colonel her husband he's a triathlete and he's got a couple bicycles that are like three and five thousand dollars they're wrecked they're ruined they're going in the garbage they're unsalvageable and then their boxes i mean they don't even know what all is broken in there and so it is so upsetting and my friend is just like at a loss. And so she's calling the moving company and nobody's answering. She calls the owner, the parent company of the moving company, nobody's answering. She calls their like a liaison, their one guy that's like, I'll help you get started from the military. He's not answering. They call the Better Business Bureau and they're like, somebody, for God's sake, help us. We're getting ripped off. We're, we're being robbed here. This isn't right. And nobody is answering. My friend doesn't have a a close relationship with the Lord, and uh, so praying about this probably never entered her mind, but that's what I'd be doing, um, hopefully. Um, And not in a spirit of complaint, but just put out a post on Facebook to a closed network of other military wives that she has walked through in life for I think a decade or more, and just said, here's a picture of our stuff. No one will answer us. Has anyone ever had anything like this happen? Can you help? And like I said, it wasn't a spirit of complaint, but it was a complaint. And it was just thrown out there. And even though it was a private group, and it's kind of understood in this group, at least I understand it this way, we don't talk about outside of this group what we share here. Somebody shared the photo. And because my friend's husband is a colonel, and because the group of wives that she's in this Facebook group um, are married to higher-ups, The picture goes from one person to another, and the next thing you know, it's like on the internet. And the wife of the commandant of the entire Marine Corps saw this photo. To give you an appreciation of who this man is, here's a picture of him. His name is General Robert B. Neller, and he is a member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He's in the room with the president when stuff goes wrong. This guy has every Marine that is enlisted under his command, 216,000 people. And so do you think that he gets bothered with, hey, my moving truck is late and my stuff got messed up? No. Do you think he even knows how to handle that? No. But his wife came to him and said, look at this picture. Do something about it. He didn't know what to do. So he called the Pentagon, and the Pentagon called my friend, and we were like, who do you need us to kill? Right? Because <laughs> that's what they do. They, it's no help whatsoever. In fact, I don't really know that I stressed this enough in the first service, but it made things worse because her husband is a colonel who gets things done. He's a leader. And what does it say about him that the commandant of the entire Marine Corps is having to handle his moving problem? I'm sure it was humiliating, embarrassing, and my friend who was just, you know, just at her wit's end didn't walk through it well and really made things worse so i was on the phone with her and i was trying to encourage her and just listen and i could tell i wasn't having much of an effect and she just as we're talking just crying just overwhelmed doesn't know how to unload or handle this problem well and this picture in my mind just showed up and rather than explain it to you i'll just give you a, a visual that i ripped off of the internet a minute ago yesterday um this is the image that came to my mind of she can't handle this and this is what is about to happen to her. Check this out. <laughs> That's a rocket that was attempting to launch. That was a vehicle attempting to get from A to B, and it was trying its hardest to get off the ground and go, but it just didn't have what it takes. There was some sort of problem, and it exploded, and there was nothing left. Who in this room has been in a situation this year or ever where you were just trying to handle more than you could handle? more than you knew how to handle, and your circumstance just blew up in your face. I bet all of us could raise our hand and say, been there, done that. Maybe there right now. But that's what I pictured in my mind, just a volcano, just an explosion of, if she doesn't give this stress and worry and frustration to Jesus— She's going to break because those tears were like an early warning signal of you can't handle this. You can't keep this in. So there's a spiritual truth there, if you haven't already picked it up, in the video and in the story. And it's this, when we try to handle hard stuff our way instead of God's way, it literally, it's only a matter of time before we self-destruct, before we hurt ourselves or hurt people around us, or both and then some. And why is that? It's because, and I'm not cursing you, I'm just letting you know how it is as your pastor, that life is full of horrible, heartbreaking things. I mean, it's full of things we can't handle. And we try to handle it our way, and we usually make it worse, but God has given us a way to handle it. That It's, it's so easy, it's like, oh, that's, that could never work. It works, and it's called confession. Um, I want to just ask you to consider, and we're going to do it a little more deep in a moment with pen and paper, but you can grab your pen and paper now if you want to. But just consider prayerfully between you and the Lord. Just be honest with yourself and your Father in heaven. Is there anything in your life today that you, just, you, don't, you can't handle it? You don't know what to do with it. You don't know how to reconcile how you feel about this thing or that moment coming up or that past or that relationship. Is there anything in your life that you're just like, I just don't even know where to begin? If you know that, if you, there's something coming to mind, write it down. We're going to deal with it before we leave this room. All right, I want to give you guys a couple more examples of, of this so that we can just make sure we've covered the gamut of things that are too big for us to handle, things we were really never meant to handle. You guys know that when we were created, and when I say we, I mean humanity, I mean Adam and Eve in the garden, we were created to live with God 24-7 in perfection. That's what we were made to walk in on a daily basis. Are we in Eden now? Are we in perfection now? Absolutely not. We're in a world ruled by sin and death, and we got... The devil and a third of the angels down here making our lives hell on a minute-to-minute basis. That's not what we were made to walk through or live in. And people say when bad stuff happens, how could God let this happen? Man, look back to the garden. We chose to do things our way, and this is the consequence. And thank you, Jesus, that we have a way back. But for this short while, that while we're on earth, don't expect things to be all perfect all the time. It doesn't happen that way. That's not the world we live in. So, a situation from my life, which I've touched on before with you guys, that is beyond me, that's too much for me, that I can't handle the pain and confusion and regret and anger that accompanies this is my relationship with my dad. And maybe you have a tough relationship with your father or your mother or no relationship or someone else close to you, and it's just that relationship is jacked right now. It's just beyond hope. It's just it hurts to think about it. Well, I want you to think about it. I want you to own it for the morning. But my relationship with my dad, as some of you, many of you know, my dad is a lifelong alcoholic. My dad, if if it's in about two minutes, if he hasn't already, he'll start drinking. And that's kind of what he's been waiting to do all day. And that's what he's going to do for the rest of the day. And he's been living that way, drinking from noon on until he passes out for about the last 17 to 20 years. And he started when he was our age, your your age, really. Um, Shut up. That's not nice. So my my dad is an alcoholic. um, and, And his answer to problems is to drink. If he has something amazing happen, what does he do? He celebrates by drinking. If he has something terrible happen, what's he do? He wallows in misery and he medicates by drinking. And if he's just having a regular old day, he's drinking. That's just his answer. It's his God, it's his gospel. So that's how my dad handles things. And now how does that equate, how does that, you know, filter down to me as his son? Is it, is it a super fun thing to have a father that's an alcoholic and who's never there? And even when he's physically present, he's not there. No, no, it's, it's horrible, it's heartbreaking, it's lonely. It is the epitome of disappointment. I so long as all of you do for a father. I mean, we have a father in heaven, so we are made, we are created to long for a father. And I've got this dad who was Physically present through much of my life, but never emotionally available. And less now, less now than ever. My dad lives five miles from where I am standing right now. And he has lived in this apartment with this lady for 15 or 17 years. And even though he's only five miles away, he is so lost to his alcoholism that my, my son and my daughter, my five-year-old and my seven-year-old have only seen my father, their grandfather, I think three or four times in their life because he can't handle it. He can't deal with it, and it is heartbreaking. Do you have a relationship in your life that just just sucks the life out of you like that, that just you can't reconcile it? I want you to connect with that a little bit this morning in a hopeful way because we're going to deal with it. My solution, the world's solution is I'll never talk to you again or show up at his door and be like, hey, Dad, remember me? Bow! right? That's how we handle things. We are hurt, and so we hurt. Would it make anything better for me to just go up and slug my dad? No. It might feel real good in the moment, but it would ruin any chance of ever talking to him again. Um, He would probably call the cops on me, and he, he should, punching people in the solution to problems. But my way of handling it, the world's way of handling it, will never help me. And there was a point early in my marriage where you know, I'd make coffee dates with him, and he just wouldn't show up. And I'd call him on the phone, and he wouldn't answer. Like, I didn't give up, but I got to a place where I'm like, I just, I want to be done with him forever. Um, and I knew that that was the world's way of handling it, and I knew God had a different way. I needed to confess my hurt, and I needed to tell God about my pain. And I didn't even know how to do that well in with such a big situation. So I reached out to a spiritual mentor, kind of a pastor person that was, in my life that I looked up to and I just said, can I come talk to you? And for about an hour, I sat with this guy and I just told him, this is my situation and this is how I feel and I can't deal with it. And he asked me a real simple question. Have you ever like given your pain to the Lord? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, what does that look like? And he goes, just pray, God, this is my hurt, take it. And I'm like, that's too easy. And he goes, I know, right? That's what's awesome about it. And so he walked me through like a 90-second prayer of me just saying, this is my hurt, please take it. And then he said, have you ever forgiven your father for being an alcoholic, for not being there? And I said, no, he's never asked. And he goes, he doesn't have to, have you ever forgiven him? Because my way of handling this was, I'm not gonna forgive my dad, which is the equivalent of drinking poison myself and hoping he dies for it. Are you, have anyone in your life that you will not forgive? That's what you're doing, you're drinking poison It's bitter, it hurts, it's eating you up, and you're hoping they suffer? So I said, no, I've never forgiven him. And he goes, well, forgive him. And I'm like, like, go talk to him? And he goes, sure, but you can also, you can just pray right now and confess your pain, which you've already done, and then just confess, God, I forgive Bob. I forgive my dad. And that was really hard for me to do, because I'm forgiving him, and he's not even present. And that was like the epitome of our relationship. I got a picture here of me and my dad. I think this is the last picture I have of him. And it was taken about 17 years ago. And that's me with hair. And that's my dad on the right. And we're cooking together. And I hate this picture, but it's the only one I have of him, of anything aside from when I was a boy. And it epitomizes my relationship. Because you can see me standing there, clear, In the photo, present. And there's my dad, just fuzzed out, just like intangible, not present. And the guy was like, that's how you need to forgive him. That's the place you need to go. And so without my father even in the room, I just said, Jesus, I forgive him. And you guys, as the words left my lips, I felt a burden lift. And it has been seven or eight years since I prayed that. And I can now think about my dad and not get angry i can now um talk to him on the phone like you know twice a year maybe for 20 seconds and not just be filled with disappointment because god can handle it he want he wants and wanted to help me and when i asked him to help me he did i don't know what happened in that little office as i prayed those two things this is my pain take it here i forgive him But something happened, and I'm changed for it. I'm better for it. And if I had continued to try and manage that pain on my own, I'd have been just like that rocket. I'd exploded, and I'd probably vomit pain and suffering onto my wife and my kids, too. But I'm set free now. And you can be set free with whatever relational trouble you're trying to handle on your own. And you can do that before you leave here today, which is pretty awesome news. It makes me think of another story, and this one's a little harder to handle. This goes back to my example before of we were created to live in perfection, but we don't. We live on earth, and bad stuff happens. A member, a family of this church of Wood's Edge two weeks ago had something absolutely irreconcilable happen to them. Um, It's beyond comprehension. There is nothing that humanly you can communicate to them to make them feel better or to uh, fix this situation. But long story short, um, this dad, this part of our church family, was backing up a truck, and he ran over his two-year-old and killed her. And what do you say to somebody when something like that happens? What are you, you going to say to your neighbor or your friend or yourself if that happens? Because I'll tell you, this story broke me. When I heard about it standing right here on Tuesday, two weeks ago, and they said, such and such from our church family, this happened to them last night. And I'm standing here and I just start crying. I don't know this family well, but I just start weeping because I have feared that exact thing happening to me with my kids. And the reason I'm afraid of it is because there is no way that I could handle that happening. I I could not survive that happening by Justin's power. I would want to take my life like in the moment. I would want to just get on a boat and sail away and never see anyone I knew again. I would want to check out. And you guys, again, I'm not cursing you. I'm just telling you things like that happen all the time. You know of someone or you might be that someone someday that something just absolutely unbearable happens to you and there's nothing that anyone can say or do to fix it but God. And he has given us the gift of confession to help. And you might think, well, confession is just like sitting down and telling God how much you messed up. It's not true. That's a misconception. So we're going to clear it up today. All right. Handling pain man's way looks like this. Complaint. Complaint. And my first story showed how complaining made things absolutely worse. It just puts the focus on all the wrong things, and then you're, you're um, spreading the negativity by infecting other people with it, right? There's a difference between asking for help and complaining about a problem, and it doesn't help. It makes it worse. There's self-medicating. We self-medicate to handle our pain by um, acting out via lust pornography, alcohol, drugs. There are so many ways we self-medicate that we numb our senses so that we don't have to deal with the pain, but it doesn't make it go away. It just makes it build up, and sooner or later, it's going to pop. We refuse to forgive people, which again, I pointed out, is like drinking poison and hoping they die. You're not hurting them. You're hurting yourself. There's taking revenge. Vengeance, which God declares, it's mine. God says, never take revenge on anyone. I will take revenge. I'm God. I'm their judge. You don't judge others. I handle those things. You got somebody in your life that has just jacked you, that has worked you over, that has broken your heart. Revenge in any way will only make it worse. Not for them. For you. Vengeance is man's way, not God's. It only leads to more pain. So what's God's way? It's confession. It's giving it to God. So I grew up with this picture in mind of confession, right? Here's a photo of a priest and a little kid, and the kid's like downcast and looking low, and they have to be in the presence of this special person that's dressed in pajamas, and they just read this list of this is how bad I am. These are all the things I did this week that were, were icky and gross and I feel bad about. It's just sitting down in guilt and shame and saying, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a piece of garbage. Um, I, I stink. I, I don't ever want to come back in here because this is awful. Um, specifically, the Catholic Church, like, you go into this, like, weird, magical box, Right? Where no one can see you, and you're just like, This is what I did long. And they're like, Okay, grab some beads and like pray, and you'll be fine. Like, I've never done that, and I understand it is quite like liberating, and there's something spiritually sound in it, but it just looks and feels weird. And it fed my misconception of confession is just about saying, These are all my mistakes. That is not what it's for. That is not its main purpose. So let's define the word confession. Confession is, I'm talking slow, wait, there it is, an acknowledgment or a disclosure of sin or sinfulness. Now, that lines up with what I thought it was growing up, but there's more to it. It's an acknowledgment or a disclosure of sin or sinfulness. Now, what is sin? Simply put, layman's terms, back in the day, when you were an archer and this was your target, if you shot your bow and arrow from the back of the room trying to hit this target and you missed, whether by an inch or a mile, you were said to have sinned. To sin means that you have missed the mark. You have missed the target. God has given us a target for everything good and bad in our life, and it's Jesus Christ. That's our target. That's what we're aiming for. That's who we go to. That's who we pray to. That's who we need. And anytime time we miss Jesus and do things our way, we are in sin. And so not just when we mess up and make mistakes, but if we believe something wrong about who God is, we have sinned. Now, does that make you a bad person if you're believing a lie about Jesus? No. It just means you need to be some more educated. It also is sin if you believe something wrong about yourself. Who in this room is just ever in their life thought the worst possible thing about yourself we are our own worst critic we are our own biggest hater if you've ever thought that you're garbage invisible useless you are in sin because that's not who god made you to be you have missed the mark so to sin means to miss the mark and so admitting disclosing that god i have not been doing a good job connecting with you that's confession it is also a formal profession of belief and acceptance of doctrines. To confess that I believe this now instead of this. Right? What is the mission statement of the 21 Pilots from our fall series? It is to make people think. What is the definition of repentance? It's to change the way that we think. To confess means you are changing your beliefs. You are saying, God, I believed you're horrible and mean and ugly. But now I know, I've changed to what I've thought, that you're good and forgiving and gracious. That's a confession. You're declaring out loud to the Lord, I've been believing something wrong. I'm going to believe this, which is right, because I read it here, or I heard it here, or I felt it here, and it lined up with Scripture. To confess is not just about your bad behavior. It's about bad beliefs even more. So that's confession. That's what we're going to do before we leave this room. I want us to bow our heads and I want us to pray and if we didn't a moment ago, really press in, but I want you to receive from the Lord, from your soul, what is the thing, maybe behavior, but maybe even more, the false belief, the pain that you are carrying that is defining you that God wants to set you free from. I'm going to pray. And as you hear, feel, sense, it's that. Write it down. Jesus, you brought us here today to set us free, to love us in the right direction, and there is not a soul in this room who is not carrying bad baggage, false beliefs, or guilt, or shame, or fear. Give us one. Give us one. Five things that you want to set us free from, that you came and died on the cross to deliver us from. Student, in your own words, ask the Lord, where is the pain in my life that you want to take from me? Ask him that. Write it down. Where is the relationship that has wrecked me, that I can't forgive, that you want to speak freedom into and peace into? If you have one, write it down. What is the behavior that is just destroying my sense of self and my understanding of who, God, you really are? Tell me. And as he does, write it down. I'll give you guys just a couple seconds. God, thank you that you are a God that answers prayer, that hears prayer, that responds to prayer. Speak clearly, and if we just can't get past something to hear you right now, speak clearly before we leave this room. We need you. We want you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. In light of whatever came to mind or whatever you're wrestling with, and maybe it's not a monster thing. Maybe it's simple, and you're like, ah, I don't know about that. That's the thing. Consider that. Consider that thing, that area, and just answer yourself. How has it worked out for you trying to handle that pain on your own? How has it worked out for you trying to manage that disappointment your way? How has it worked out for you ignoring it and pretending it didn't happen? Is it gone? Like, are you set free? Or is it just like creeping around, waiting for the moment that it can just leap on you and explode your world? Last week, we talked about the people in the age of Nehemiah who had been in exile for 70 years, exiled for 70 years because for 700 years they had blatantly disobeyed God. They had blatantly chosen to do things their way instead of God's. And as a result, he punished them for a tenth of what they deserved. And so in their 70th year of exile, they finally are like, God, we get it. We did things our way and it hurt us. Please let us come back. And that was it. And he's like, come on. Let's go. You're welcome back right now. And he gave them a new identity as a people. And he gave them a city. And he gave them influence. And then he brought people to help them rebuild their city. And the first thing they did was receive from God when they confessed their need for him. And then he helped them protect what they received. And then right after that, Nehemiah chapter 9 picks up. And this is one of the most amazing confessions in all the Bible. As all these people... Gather together, having admitted, we were doing things man's way and it made things worse. We want to do things your way now. And so they gather together in the center of the city and they confess together to the Lord. And what they say is amazing. What they confessed is beautiful because it's not them coming with their heads bowed and just saying, We're garbage. We deserve to die. If you want to kill us, go for it because we stink. No, they said something very different. They said something life-giving, not life-taking. I'm going to breeze through these. Listen, there's so much good stuff in here. On October 31st, the people assembled again, and this time they fasted, and they dressed in burlap, and they sprinkled dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners as they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. They remained standing in place for three hours while the book of the law of the Lord their God was read aloud to them. They went to church, essentially. And then for three more hours, they confessed their sins and worshiped the Lord their God. This was their confession after 700 years doing things wrong and 70 of being disciplined, of living like heathens. This was what they had to say. May your glorious name be praised, Lord. Not, we're garbage, kill us. May your glorious name be praised, Lord. May it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the skies and the heavens and all the stars. You made the earth. And the seas and everything in them. You preserve them all, and the angels of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him from Ur and renamed him Abraham. And when he had proven himself faithful, you made a covenant, a promise with him to give him and his descendants. And that's us. And you have done what you promised, for you are always true to your word. There's a lot of words in there. What are those people confessing? What are they admitting? What are they acknowledging to the Lord? This is what they're saying. God, you are awesome. You're awesome, God. You're incredible. You can do things that no one else can do. God, you keep your promises, and we got a whole book full of them, and they're trustworthy and reliable, and if we can just walk by faith according to your promises, you promised that you will give us a new identity, and you will give us influence. Things you cannot live, who would want to live without. Do you want an identity? a boldness and confidence in yourself like nobody's business, that nobody can look you in the eye and say, you're wrong, you're garbage. If you want to stand up and just own the fact that you're God's kid, God will give you that identity if you're just faithful, if you just trust him, and he will give you great influence. Everyone in this room, without exception, is a leader in the making. They went on and said, you saw the misery of our ancestors in Egypt. It didn't say, You saw how bad we did. It doesn't say, You know how messed up we were. It says, You saw our misery. You saw the misery of our ancestors in Egypt, and you heard their cries from the Red Sea. You displayed miraculous signs and wonders. Against Pharaoh, his officials, and all his people. For you knew how arrogantly our enemies were treating our ancestors. God, you have a glorious reputation that has never been forgotten. You divided the sea for your people so they could walk through on dry land and then you hurled their enemies into the depths of the sea and they sank like stones beneath the mighty waters you led our ancestors by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night so that they could find their way that's so beautiful that is so powerful and that is just as true for them then as it is for us today What were they confessing there? What are they admitting? What are they just owning and acknowledging? This, God, you pay attention to our pain. Do you have pain in your life? God is paying attention to it. He is waiting to talk to you about it. They're saying to him, God, you handle our haters. You will take vengeance. You can walk up and punch your enemy in the mouth, but you're just gonna make him a worse enemy, and he's probably gonna get some friends. But if you trust the Lord to handle your haters, Look what he did for these people. Miraculous things, testimonial things, things that we're still talking about thousands of years later. God, you're a God of rescue. You're a God of miracles. They're just telling God, this is who you are, and we want more of you. You came down at Mount Sinai, and you spoke to our ancestors from heaven, and you gave them regulations and instructions that were just And decrees and commands that were good. And you instructed them concerning your holy Sabbath. And you commanded them through Moses, your servant, to obey all your commands, decrees, and regulations. Obey this book. Test drive this book. Follow what it says with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit. What are they confessing here? God, everything you've ever said is just. And it's good. It's right. And it's trustworthy. What are they saying here? They're saying and declaring when he talked about the Sabbath that God's desire for you is not for you to worry about what you did or you're going to do. His desire for you is to rest, to chill out, to be at peace. The fact that God's in control. God knows your pain. God will take care of you. Not worry. He calls us to be kids who just rest. And they're declaring to God, You deserve our obedience. You deserve it. You made us. You protect us. You love us. You're there for us. You deserve for us to be kids that do what you say. You gave them bread from heaven when they were hungry and water right out of a rock when we were thirsty. And you commanded our ancestors to go and take possession of the land that you had sworn to give them. However, our ancestors were proud and stubborn, just like us. And they paid no attention to your commands, just like us. And they refused to obey, and they would not remember. They wouldn't remember all the miracles that you had done for them. Instead, they became stubborn, and they appointed a leader to take them back to their slavery in Egypt. They stopped paying attention to God. They stopped looking for the good. And as soon as they did, they were like, man, was it really God that rescued us? Or, or was it this, this guy Let's just go back to where we were, slavery, prostitution, pain, and suffering, because they took their eyes off God. What are they confessing here? They're saying, God, you take care of your kids, and you bless obedience. However, when we forget God, when we try to handle things our way instead of God's way, we will hurt ourselves, and it'll, it'll just get worse. It'll just start a snowball effect. We'll start forgetting even more who God is and who he created us to be. This passage is telling you, it's promising you, if you take your eyes off of God, you'll backslide. You'll, you'll be like, man, I, just, I took a step forward last week, but I feel like I took two back. You ever feel like that? I know you do. You come and tell me about it all the time. I don't even feel like I should be at church today, Pastor Justin. I messed up so bad last week. If you feel that way, I challenge you. It's not because of what you did. It's because of what you're not doing. Put your eyes back on Jesus, like that fast. And boom, he's like, What's up? Don't take your eyes off the Lord. So it says, Instead, they became stubborn. They went back to their sin. They deserve punishment, but it says, However, you are a God of forgiveness, gracious, merciful, slow to become angry, and rich in unfailing love. You did not abandon our ancestors even when they made an idol shaped like a cow and said, that's our God who rescued us. what are they confessing and admitting here? They're saying, even when we do things our way, even when we know we deserve to be punished, God is slow to anger, quick to forgive, and quick to show grace. And if there's one thing you need to confess today about your view of God, maybe it's that. You go to God and you're like, man, he's just going to smack me on the head. No, he's slow to anger. When you go to God and even begin to confess, I've been missing you, he's quick. He's quick to forgive. He's like, bring it in. You don't even have to finish the statement. Come here. I love you. I always loved you. I was never far from you. It was you that left me, but I've just been waiting here with my arms open. I am quick to forgive. I'm slow to anger. And now, our God, today we are slaves in the land of plenty, the land that you gave our ancestors for their enjoyment. How true is that today of us living in America, in the second richest community in the country? And now, our God, today we are slaves to sin, to pain, to misbelief in the land of plenty, that you gave to our ancestors for their enjoyment. We are slaves here in this good land and the lush produce of this land piles up in the hands of the kings whom you've set over us because of our sins. And they have power over us and all of our stuff and we serve them at their pleasure and we are in great misery. Not once did I hear in there them saying, this is, we have messed up, we stink, like kill us, What I hear in here is God is awesome and we are hurting. We need you, God. Please help us. That's their confession. We've been doing things our way. We're hurting ourselves. Please help us. We are in great misery today. I wonder if we were a little more vulnerable this morning if I just said, who's hurting in this room today? How many hands would go up? But I would imagine it's all of them. I'm hurting today confession this is like the thesis statement here you guys listen to this confession is not declaring how messed up you are confession is declaring how much you need jesus it's not this is how bad of a person i am it's oh my god i need you and him saying you got me you got me i've been waiting for you to ask And do you know what happens the second we confess, the minute we start to just lay it out there and give it to Jesus? In 1 John 1, 9, it says, when we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. He doesn't just rectify our relationship like that. He cleanses us. He washes away the guilt and the shame and the fear and the regret Who doesn't want some of that today? Dwight, you guys can come on up here, and we're going to respond to what we've heard. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you guys to grab your pen and paper, if you haven't already, and I'm going to invite you to take advantage of a moment to just write a letter between you and the Lord. And we got these jazzy little mailboxes that we picked up, one here in the front and two on the speakers on the side. And we're going to write this letter to the Lord, And we're literally just going to, by faith, deliver it to God and just step back and wait and see how he responds. If you don't want to drop your letter off, that's cool. Keep it. I'm fine with that. But if you want to engage in that part, I welcome you to it. I got a couple points about confession, some reminders, but we're going to maybe put those online for later. I want us to respond. I want us to use this time. So, Here's how you're going to pray on paper. And I encourage you to take full advantage of the fact that you're not just putting ink on paper. You are praying to Jesus who hears and answers prayer, who wants to comfort you and help you this morning. Here's how we're going to pray. Just like the people in Nehemiah with their confession, start off with where has God been good to you? Is there anything in your life that you're thankful for, that you're grateful for? It could be your health. It could be your family. It could be the fact that you understood what I'm talking about. It can be that you even have a relationship with the Lord. What are you thankful for? Start your letter by just, you're writing to your dad. It's personal. It's raw. Be wordy. Be simple. I don't care, but just, God, thank you for this. Go ahead and begin. Just write to your Father in heaven and thank him for whatever's coming to mind. And Jesus, as they begin, I pray you bring to mind those things are that thing that you have given to us, that you have shared with us, that we maybe have not just ever said like, thank you for that, that we have not been appreciating, appreciating lately. Bring those things to mind. I pray for grateful hearts and minds. You guys just take a minute or two and focus in on that, and we'll move on to the next piece. If you're in the midst of a, a grateful thought and you're still writing, please continue. But the next piece that we're going to hit up in this letter to our dad is what do you need to give to God today? And and you're going to do this in a spirit of man, he made the stars, he made galaxies, he made the universe, he made me in all my weird, beautiful intricacy. Like, he's God. He can do anything. you got a situation in your life that's just there's no way this can change. He can change it. But what in your life Does God want you to unload? What does God want to set you free from? And I do feel this morning, for many of you, it's a pain or a hurt. So where's that place that we talked about a minute ago that just the worst pain you're carrying today? Just pray right out, God, please take my this. Take my shame and write out what it is you are ashamed of. He already knows what it is. Your disappointment. That bad behavior that is wrecking you, that you cannot break. Just give it to him. Ask him, take this, please. He wants to take it from you, but he's not going to do it without you asking. You might need a minute to finish what you're writing, but... I just do want to spell out the last piece. If God has convicted you this morning, if if he has given you something specific to lay down, it's very possible, if not highly likely, that there's something you can do. There's something you can commit to to protect yourself from finding yourself in that same situation, that same pain or hurt. So maybe you wrap up your letter when you're ready with just a commitment of how you can change the way you think about how to do life, about who God is, about who He created you to be, maybe it's just declaring God you're not quick to be angry with me, you're slow you're not holding out forgiveness for me you're you're bursting with it, but maybe it's a simple thing like god i'm just I want to read my Bible more, not for the sake of turning pages, but to get to know you, to get to know myself maybe it's um, I have not yet even attempted to be a blessing to anyone in my life help me do that today but pray about it and just see is there something God wants you to do not for him as much as for you because if you do it for you it'll be to his glory so ask him about that and then write it down set it in stone again keep writing but we're going to respond to the sermon now And again, I invite you, I encourage you to drop these letters off up at the front. Just an act of faith by saying, I I prayed this and I'm just going to wait and I'm going to see how God responds. And we have our communion today of partaking in the elements and just reminding us like Jesus Christ, thank you that we can even pray and know we're heard. Thank you for giving your life. Thank you for paying for my sin. Thank you for giving me a way back into perfection with my Father in heaven. We have our tithes and offerings, but maybe most important of all, we have an opportunity to worship and sing together and declare together one more time to confess together the lyrics of this last song, how amazing God is, how much we love him, and how much he loves us. I'm going to pray. You guys respond as you feel led afterward. Jesus, thank you. We don't have to be in church. We don't have to go into a little box. We don't have to make a list of our bad deeds before coming to you. We can come to you all day every day and just say, I need you. I want you. I'm confused. I'm hurt. I don't know what to do. Will you help me? You guys, the answer will always be yes. So Jesus, we thank you for making a way. We thank you that you set people free here this morning. You healed hearts this morning. Please protect us from picking our pain back up. I pray a hedge of protection around every heart and mind and home in this room to protect against the enemy from bringing their hurts back and saying, oh, that's still with you. It is not. We believe that. We own that. We love you. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You guys respond as you feel led.